Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Janet Fletcher, who is an author of numerous cookbooks, and she resides in the Napa Valley. Janet, thank you so much for joining me today, and we're going to learn all about you and everything <laughs> that's going on in your life. <laughs> well, a little bit in any case. I'm happy to, happy to share what's, uh, what's happening. And you've set the scene so perfectly, too. We've got some bubbles and some almonds. and Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's always wine o'clock around here. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Let's dive right in. Let's get to know your career and the path that you've taken that's led you to where you are today, because you're quite accomplished. How did it all start? What was your first job, your first full-time job? Well, it was uh, pretty soon. I, you know, I worked part-time since I was 16, and I worked all my, you know, worked through college. And then I went to the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park, New York, and then I came out to California and uh, was just trying to break into the food world. I actually ended up working at a little pastry shop near where I lived. It's no longer there. It was in San Francisco called La Patisserie, and I thought I wanted to learn how to make pastry and they didn't have a job for me yet, but they thought they might soon. And so I worked the cash register oh, wow. until they could work me into the into the pastry department. And uh, the funny thing is now, I mean, I am just not a pastry person. I don't have that temperament at all. I don't hardly ever make pastry now. But it was it was a fun place to start. So that was your first job. Fast forward, you became a food writer. I became a food writer. Yeah, I spent uh, two, two to three years working in restaurants, uh, most notably at Chez Panisse in Berkeley. Everybody knew mm -hmm. Chez Panisse. And that was really a very formative experience for me. It kind of set my aesthetic and a love for gardening, a, a love for cooking from the garden, and uh, a real appreciation for ingredients over technique. I would say that's the kind of cook I am. But from that, I transitioned into from restaurants into food writing. I really, you know, I'm more of a writer's temperament than a, than a, than a restaurant cook. So even though you studied to be a chef, yeah, I mean, you know, I have a college degree in economics, right. but then oh, I, I, okay. but you went <laughs> so to the I, CIA, you know, I was headed right? to business school, but I took a little detour mm -hmm. and yeah, I just thought, let me see how this cooking thing goes. Mm -hmm. And I just loved it and, you know, started getting jobs and, uh, started, um, I actually started my food writing, my first real food writing job was with a man named Bob Finnegan, which a lot of your listeners may remember that name. He was sort of before Robert Parker. He was the eminent wine critic and restaurant critic of the day. And uh, he had a couple of newsletters, a wine newsletter and a restaurant newsletter. And he was he was so busy, he just couldn't do it everything he had on his plate. So I started ghostwriting for the restaurant newsletter. And that got me just fascinated by the possibility of making a living as a food writer. So he gave me my first big break. But now you are this fantastic writer who's got, like we said, numerous books under your belt. And you like to write about cheese. You're like an expert on cheese. Yeah, I do. Cheese just kind of came. Cheese found me. <laughs> really, I was. And how did uh, that happen? Well, you know, I, as 
you mentioned I do a lot of uh, food writing cookbooks. I love writing cookbooks. And I was just looking around for my next topic. Uh, this was 20 years ago. And I noticed that people were getting more into cheese. Restaurants were doing more with cheese. They were starting to make cheese boards and cheese plates instead of just pulling a cold wedge of a brie out of the fridge. And so I thought there might be a little book to do about the cheese course. And I wrote it, and that uh, just kind of launched me because nobody else was really writing about cheese at that point intensely. So the Chronicle, the San Francisco Chronicle, where I was already on the staff, said, why don't you do a cheese column? And that uh, I did that for 10 years, oh once a week, a cheese column, almost 10 years. And then that led to Planet Cheese, which is my blog, and two more books on cheese and, and one about to come out. And uh, so it's it's been a really fun ride because I started writing about cheese right when the American artisan cheese movement got going, and there was just so much to write about, so many people to write about, and so many great new cheeses happening. So it almost warrants the question, what's your favorite cheese? I do have an answer. Like Desert Island cheese, which is yes. always, always in my fridge, is feta. I just, uh, hardly a day goes by that I don't have a little nibble of feta. But um, borrowing that, the, the type of cheese I really love best, the one I'm going to go to first on a cheese board, is an aged sheep cheese, like a Manchego, uh, like an Ossoirati, or a, you know, a Pecorino Toscano, that kind of aged, nutty sheep cheese. I just love that savory taste. One of your books is a wine and cheese book. Yeah, it's called Cheese and Wine. Yes. And it was my second one after the cheese course. I've also done one called Cheese and Beer. Uh, but cheese and wine is still in print, and it was just a fun way to explore these pairings that I think a lot of people, you know, are un- they're not that comfortable with. Uh, they, you know, they love cheese, they love wine, but putting t- them together can make people anxious. So uh, I organized it by cheese, uh, alphabetically by cheese, and then for each of these cheeses, I talked about the type of wine I think works well with it and why. And then in the back of the book, which I hope is helpful to people, is there's a glossary so you can go in the other direction. If you say you want, you've decided you want to pour a Chardonnay for dinner, I talk about the kinds of cheeses that are going to be best with that Chardonnay. And it's it's still highly popular. Well, I hope so. I mean, after it's been around for almost, uh, gosh, I can't remember the public, 10 or 15 years. Yeah. So it's, but it's still selling. It's still found in tasting rooms. And of course, people can order it from me on my website. So how do you stay motivated or interested or where do you get your motivation? Maybe that's a better question. Well, I think maybe because I'm always hungry. <laughs> so, you know, the, you have to have an appetite to want to write about food. Uh, a, a food writer who doesn't love to eat is not going to be a very good food writer. So I love to cook. Uh, we have a big garden and that to me is my, I guess my motivation is it's not so much being creative, like trying to make something new all the time. Uh, it's, mm, I just love to eat and I, there's my, uh, the, when I get into the zone, it's when I've got, you know, beautiful produce around me. Maybe I've been to the Napa farmer's market and bought home some beautiful produce and the improv cooking that comes when you have all these beautiful ingredients around you, that gets me excited. Is there someone that has inspired you or mentored you along the way that you can speak to? Sure. I, I wouldn't call her a mentor in the sense that I don't think she 
you know, considered me a mentee, but Alice Waters was hugely inspiring. I worked for her for two years and, uh, she just had a, a passion. She had an aesthetic vision that really appealed to me. And as we all know, she's absolutely passionate about quality and organics and, um, giving farms and farmers their due. And she wasn't yet into the, um, edible schoolyard thing that came later, but I've just always admired her, her values and her culinary aesthetic. What's been the most challenging part of your career? Well, uh, I think, you know, part of it is that I like to do um, I'm a little bit scattered. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I kind of like having different kinds of writing going on all the time. I like short-term deadlines, medium and long. So I like having a book going. I like having magazine articles to write. I like having, you know, shorter-term things like my blog with a weekly deadline. But I get really, I get, um, I do multitask, but sometimes I, I get a little in the weeds, you know, with too many things going on. So, but, you know, I like to be busy. I really like having lots of stuff going on. But I guess I, guess I would say balancing deadlines, meeting deadlines. is a can, little challenging. It can be challenging, yeah. Because you take on so much. Yeah, or stuff comes to me and I just don't like to say no. It's been, <laughs> it's been really fun with this. Uh, I mean, if anything can be said to be fun from the pandemic, it's that uh, this virtual, this growth of virtual experiences and virtual tastings. I would have thought in the beginning that I wouldn't like it so much because you're not in a room with people. But it's actually a fun way to communicate and to get people from all over the place who otherwise would never be able to take a class with me, a cheese class. I can reach them. So it's I have really enjoyed that aspect of you know the, where the pandemic has taken us mm-hmm. to new kinds of experiences and I hope that will continue because I I enjoy doing it. Totally new audiences Mm -hmm. and just finding new ways to communicate. Uh, I never want to give up my in-person classes, but it's a fun, um, uh, you know, expansion of what I, what I do. When someone says Janet Fletcher, what do you think they think of immediately? Well, these days I know they think, (laughs) I know they think cheese because I, people will, meet me and they'll say oh you're the cheese lady you're the cheese lady I never imagined that that's where my career would go Mm -hmm. it certainly was not intentional I haven't tried to you know direct it back to just general food but I I still consider myself a general food writer Uh, but I know people think cheese first and foremost I hope they think fresh and I hope they think Napa Valley that that's part of my quote-unquote brand and, uh, you know, I hope they just associate it with quality that I, I have never wanted to follow a trend, uh, you know, for the sake of being trendy. Uh, I, I have, think I've stayed true over the years to this real belief in um, quality, ingredients, fresh, fresh from the, you know, from the garden to the table kinds of cooking. And that's what I hope people associate with me. That's what I hope I you know, my books have mostly been about. I just did a really fun book called Gather that uh, came out of early, and let's see, mid-20, what year is this? 21. (laughs) (laughs) It came out out in early 2021. Uh, And it's about wineries that have edible gardens. 
And it was so fun because when I, it came out of a magazine article, a magazine assignment to write about three or four wineries that had cool edible gardens. And they were so amazing. And I thought, I, there may be more of these. And in fact, I was surprised to find how many wineries in, in Napa and Sonoma and uh, Mendocino have fabulous edible gardens that they use for their hospitality. So that was, his, that was my most fun uh, recent publishing project. And that book's out now? It is out now, yeah. It's available at, at the for me on my website or from the participating wineries. There were 15, uh, 13 wineries that are featured, and they are uh, selling it themselves. And then you, it sounds like you might have a, another book coming out soon. Are you able to give us a theme or sure. a hint? Sure. Or? I call it up. I've called it a book for so long, but I, I've been corrected. It's actually a, a lecture series, and it's for Audible. Uh, so it's we'll never see the light of day in print, although... Kind of, I think it would make a nice print book, but it's it is an audible book, an audible lecture series, and um, I know that it will be out in mid-November, and so I I'm not sure if they've changed the title. I called it "Cultured: The Epic Story of Cheese." So we'll see if they they kept that title or not. But it's ten lectures on everything from you know the early history of cheese to how it's made to how it fits into different cultures. Uh, different styles of cheese. I do talk a little bit about pairing, but it's a little bit more of a deep dive into everything that surrounds cheese, the you know, the geography and culture and science. Fascinating. You're branching out. Well, yeah, an <laughs> audiobook. And I had uh I was really surprised when they said uh that I would do the reading because I don't, as you can hear, have a, a radio voice, but they like to have their authors do the do the actual the reading. reading. So yeah, I hold myself up in the guest room with uh, all the right sound equipment, and uh, we put up soundproofing, and I did the reading, uh, reading myself. Well, there's no better person to read than than yourself to tell people about cheese. So it's perfect. Yes. Well, I guess perfect. so. At least I knew how to pronounce <laughs> the cheese name. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Somebody else may not. So let's talk about cheese. Tell us perhaps a quirky pairing that you think is just the perfect pairing. Quirky. And, yeah, well, you know, something unusual. Uh, sour beers. You know how popular mm-hmm. sour beers are these days. It's taken me a little while to warm up to them. And a lot of them I don't like. They taste to me like raspberry vinegar. But there are a few that I do like, and I just, that tartness is really refreshing. And it was, it's been kind of a challenge to find cheeses that work well with them. But I'm thinking what I really like is uh, triple creams, the really luscious, buttery cheeses like Cowgirls Mount Tam or Briat Sauvignon with these sour beers because it kind of mellows the sourness, all that luscious butteriness on your tongue, and then you have the the vigorous tartness. It's a it's an interesting balance. Is there an unusual wine pairing? Yes, here's one. I think most people don't think or would be surprised at the pairing of sparkling wine and blue cheese, but it can really work. If you have a mellow blue, nothing super pungent, but a really mellow blue like a Stilton or the Bay Blue from Point Reyes, a Saint Augur from France, which is so creamy and mellow, they're beautiful with sparkling wines especially if you have a sparkling wine that's a little bit off dry, you know, not totally austere. Um, you know, mum makes a wonderful 
Mum Napa, I forget what they call it, demi-sec or extra dry, but it's, you've got a little more residual sugar and it's super tasty with blue cheese. I think it's demi-sec. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for those pairing suggestions. What do you want to do? What's on the horizon? I mean, you've done so much. Do you have a wish list of what you want to do? Well, I'd certainly like to get back into travel <laughs> now that we've, right. we're, you know, inching out of lockdown. So I'm, I have uh, a huge wanderlust and a desire to go to some cheese-producing countries that in regions that I haven't been to. I'd love to do more collaborations, Michelle. I've, I've done some uh, book collaborations over the years with chefs, mm-hmm. like my, Michael Chiarello and uh, with Kokari, the fabulous Greek restaurant in San Francisco. I enjoy that because um, I get to help somebody else communicate and put on the page what what they do, and I get to learn. That's right. what, it's like going to cooking school to be in, uh, you know, side by side with these chefs recording their recipes. And you know, there are moments when you um, struggle to f- figure out how to like make a complicated chef recipe into something a home cook can do. Um, there are lots of challenges with these books, but I love collaborations and, and would like to do more of them. Do you ever think that you'll deviate further from cheese or will cheese always be your bread and butter, so to speak? Oh, I hope uh, that I can. I really do want to continue to be a broad food writer. So I love writing about gardening as well. I'm, I'm a master gardener, a certified master gardener, and I love writing about gardens. So that's why Gather, that book was so fun because it brought in the gardening element along with the food and the right. wine. So I hope I can f- still find opportunities to write about food in general, farms, gardening, and uh, cheese will cheese will always be there uh, for sure. I, I've just, I just feel like over the last 20 years I've developed this foundation of knowledge and contacts and uh, it's certainly the case that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So there's a lot of exploration still, still to happen with cheese, but I I don't want that to be my sole, uh, my sole subject going forward. Right, but you've become an expert. Well, you know, it's a funny word. Oh, okay, <laughs> because, maybe a bad choice of words. <laughs> you know, you just, as I said, the more you think you know, then then you realize. That you don't. You don't. I certainly am not an expert on dairy science, on the the actual science of making cheese. I don't make cheese, apart from very simple ones on my home stove. Uh, So I'm not a production expert, uh, but I've tasted a lot of cheese, and I feel like I've got a, a developed palate. I have an appreciation for, you know, what makes great cheese. I recognize great cheese. I recognize defects in cheese. Um... But there's, boy, <laughs> you never stop learning. You're a cheese aficionado. I'm an aficionado. Yeah, I'm yes. definitely a, um, I am an enthusiast, a, you know, a huge enthusiast. And I, the funny thing is, Michelle, I, I think what I love about cheese, as much as how delicious it is, is all the, all that surrounds it, the people that you meet, the places you get to go, um, you know, the landscapes, the 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 history uh, the way it reflects culture so I, I feel like it has just opened a big world to me we have over the last um, 20 years my husband and I have traveled to a lot of cheese making regions and met some wonderful cheese makers and uh, dairy farmers and it's just always fun to have a theme to travel on a lot of 
know, we know wine people, they would love to go to winemaking regions. And for me, visiting uh, cheese regions is just a nice um, way to give structure to our travel. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's move on to your personal life. You live in the town of Napa. How did you choose Napa? We came to Napa because of Doug's job. Doug is a winemaker and was working at the time at Chimney Rock, commuting from Oakland. Commuted from San Francisco before that, so we were kind of inching closer. And um, I'm sort of a city girl. I grew up in a city. I've always lived in a city. And so it was a a big change for me to move to Napa. And uh, that's, but it was time to do it. So we moved up here about uh, in 1997. And you purposely chose the city of Napa versus Yountville. Oakville, St. Helena? No, we, uh, we moved up uh, looking for a home, and we were looking all over the place. And this is, you know, we landed in Napa, but that's just because that's where we found the, the home. home we wanted. Yeah. And so let's talk about your decorating style, because your, your house is fabulous. Well, thank you. I have to say it didn't look like this when we bought it. It was, a, it was the parsonage. Uh, we were told that the... the uh, the I forget what church, but the the local uh, Methodist preacher I think lived in the house. It was oh, the, really? you know, the parsonage <laughs> for many years, and it um, we have expanded it. We expanded the kitchen. The kitchen I don't know why we have anything else but a kitchen because that's where we kind of live, and uh, we have a dining room, but we don't use it all that much. When people come over, I love to eat in the kitchen, and we have a big garden and. Um, Otherwise, you know, the house is pretty small, but I just wanted it to be open. I love having a lot of light, so we took out some walls and uh, opened it up. And How would you describe your style? I would say, I hope it feels like California. Mm-hmm. I hope it feels like Northern California, just relaxed. Um, we, are, we are not fussy people. We don't, I don't like having a lot of stuff around. Um, like my toaster is actually under the counter, you know, I, 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 I put stuff away. I like having, um, it's by not, by no means is this austere or modern, but it's, uh, I like to think it's kind of uh, light filled and casual. When you kick back and relax, where do you go? It is, I mean, we live in the kitchen and, uh, we cook, 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 kick back and relax for us. That's cooking. Doug and I tend to make dinner together. He's kind of the sous chef, I would say. And uh, we just, that's the highlighter of our day is to uh, pour a glass of wine, start chopping, make dinner come together. We, we don't have children, so we have that luxury of being able to just sit and chat uh, over dinner about our day. And we have very long dinners. We don't have a television in the in the house um, well, well, we did for many years but we never watched it so we finally just got rid of it um, so we you know we entertain ourselves with just uh, listening to music we're big opera buffs oh and uh you know we'll listen to music and uh li- lately we've gotten into this youtube series called pasta grannies so <laughs> we've become cult fans of pasta grannies and we'll check youtube every 
few days and see if there's a new pasta grannies to watch but they're very short they're about seven minutes okay you got to tell us what what is pasta grannies about so fun it is uh, it's on youtube and it was started by an english woman maybe five years ago pre-pandemic she started going around italy filming grandmothers making their regional pasta shape and some of them are 70 or 80 but some of them are 90 or even older and they are still able to stand at a kitchen counter and knead that pasta dough and make uh, pasta for the camera and they are so charming they are just heartwarming and uh, these women are you know so uh, earnest and passionate about what they do and they may only make that one shape but they make it really well <laughs> don't you want to eat it <laughs> oh you do well we have made some of them they have a cookbook i bought it for my husband for oh, his birthday the pasta granny's cookbook and we've made a lot of um, i won't say a lot but he's mostly gotten into the handmade pasta thing i love over it. the last couple of years so he's experimenting with shapes he has a, there's actually a gentleman in sonoma who makes these um wooden uh boards for making unusual pasta shapes and so we have a couple of those uh, so we can make cavatelli and uh, fun little fancy. unusual shapes. Fancy. <laughs> Actually, it's very rustic. They're very much uh, just, you know, the shape that came out of that region. And it, when you eat pasta every day, you I think what the reason they have so many shapes is because you have to do something different with it or it gets boring. Right. So you take your flour and your eggs and you just make a different shape. Amazing. Well, you and your husband are like a fabulous couple, a fantastic pair. We could all be so lucky to have a partner like that. Well, it has been, I can't imagine being married to somebody who didn't love food. Uh, Doug is a very broad eater. I can, can't, I can only think of one thing he doesn't really enjoy. Um, so he eats He's as adventurous as I am uh, at the table, and that it's been fun to share yeah. for the last 35 years. That's amazing, too. People are hardly ever married that long anymore. <laughs> so you guys are a fantastic couple. You've kind of already hinted about this, but when you travel, I know you tend to go on cheese themed vacations but is there a meaningful trip that you can share yeah i mean it hasn't all been cheese we've been to vietnam uh for three weeks i don't think we saw a piece of cheese there right (laughs) or india uh we've been to kerala a beautiful region of uh southern india that was enlightening uh, it's it's always about the food for me. Uh, so I want to go someplace where I know we're going to encounter some very interesting food. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know where we're going to go next. We're talking about Japan. Uh, there are a lot of places that I feel like we probably will never get to go that I did want to go to, like Syria. <laughs> you know, Lebanon, Syria. I didn't get to go, and it just feels like that might not I, you be know, possible. It might not happen. Is there a trip, though, that you've taken that has great meaning to you? Oh, la, la. Well, um, you know, they're all meaningful in their own way. way. I had a lot of fun a couple of years ago. That's the first time I've ever really taken a, a trip without Doug like this. I, I just wanted to. I was going to Italy on a job uh, to do teach some cooking uh, and uh, 
in Tuscany, and I thought it would be so fun to try to improve my Italian, which is not very good, and do a, a week of immersion in Italian. So I found a woman who does homes, homeschooling, basically. You rent a room in her apartment, and uh, she works with you one-on-one and uh, takes you around. You know, So it's part, uh, you know, there's a tourism aspect, but it's like living with an Italian, pretending you're Italian, right. and talking Italian 24 hours a day. So that was just a fun experience for me to do on my own without Doug, you know, with a stranger. And it was a, b- a beautiful week. It was definitely unique. What part of Italy do you recall? Uh, yeah, because, yes, this was only like three years ago. We, I was in the, um, I was in Trento, the town of Trento. And that's in the Trentino, uh, in north, uh, northeastern Italy. It was funny because we... Uh, when I was, I chose her just because she, it sounded like a beautiful area, and uh, she sounded lovely, and before I left, I realized that she was very close to a cheesemaker that I had written about, and uh, I said, when I come, can we go visit this cheesemaker, and she had never heard of the cheese. It was like 45 minutes from her house, and she had never heard of it. It's that, it's that um, unknown. Hmm. But it does come to the U.S. It's called Crucolo. Uh, it's not widely available, but it is an absolutely delicious mountain cow's milk cheese from the Dolomites. And we, she took me. We went and visited the family that makes it. They're like a 17th generation um, cheesemakers. So it was a super cool experience. Fascinating. And you got to introduce her to somebody new. Isn't that funny? You know, experience. I think sometimes we... Um, Americans know a l- more about Italian food than some of the Italians do because a lot of Italians hardly venture uh, out. They vent- don't leave their region. They eat from the region. They don't, you know, leave the region. They know their local cheeses um, and they know their local specialties. But uh, we Americans, like, we want to go everywhere and taste everything and We're do explorers. everything. Yeah. <laughs> Moving in a different direction. Is there something that people might be surprised to learn about you? Something that you may have done unusual as a child? Or are you a skydiver? Or do you rappel down mountains? Do you scuba dive? I don't know. Well, I was the spelling bee champion, but that's pretty boring. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually, I joke with my siblings that I could never write a memoir because we had such a normal, boring, you know, American childhood. There are no there are no skeletons. Um, I grew up in a very I would just say a very kind of normal home with loving parents who had a long marriage and three siblings, and it was just sort of an all American childhood. So I, I there's no trauma, no drama, and that's kind of a boring answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, but, you are the spelling bee champion. That's right. <laughs> twice oh my goodness Um, yeah so I can spell which is good because Doug can't so no (laughs) you really only need one speller in the house there you go we're in wine country what do you like to drink at home well you and I are sharing some bubbles and I would say you know all all things considered I would just as soon have bubbles in my glass at least to start um I love uh Doug was when he was at Chimney Rock he made Stagsleep District Cabernet. I, if we're going to have 
a dinner party and where I love the the reds from I love the Cabernet Sauvignon from Stags Lake District. Uh, so that would be my preferred red. We're drinking a lot of Spanish wines these days, actually, oh. a lot of Spanish whites and Garnacha. Yeah. So you're definitely a wine girl. Oh, yeah. But uh, beer, we drink, usually have beer on the weekends for lunch. Um, I love beer. I love beer. And it came to me pretty late. You know, I didn't start really exploring it until maybe 20 years ago. I would go into Whole Foods and I would look at that wall of beer and I would just be mystified. You know, I kind of knew what I liked and I would buy the one or two things. I thought it was sophisticated because I bought Sierra Nevada and Anchor Steam. But I wanted to know more. So I started this, you know, beer dive and um, have just fallen in love with the many styles of craft beer. Uh, and I, I, I'm excited to um, be doing a tasting uh, very soon on cheese and beer. And we have one of Napa's brewers uh, joining me, Nick Gislazen, who has um, a little business called Hanabi Lager. Nick is actually the winemaker at Screaming Eagle. Oh, but he fabulous. is really into beer and he has his own little brewery. Oh, so. super fun. Yeah. That's cool. Well, we're going to wrap things up with five quick questions. You ready? Sure. Bring okay. it on. They're very lighthearted. Here we go. What's your favorite holiday? Ooh, well, favorite holiday would be Thanksgiving. I mean, I'm a cook. I love to cook. I love having people over. And we always have Thanksgiving here. Uh, if, if somebody wants to invite us, go. <laughs> that would be nice. But <laughs> we tend we had do Thanksgiving here, and it's a it's a great pleasure to do that. What's your favorite flower? Well, I might. I think I would say dahlias. I grow dahlias and uh, these giant dinner plate dahlias, and it's so fun to get that catalog every year with all the different colors and the different dahlias. And you know, what are you going to grow this year? I always like. I, I dig them up and I keep the ones I did grow and then I add, you know, I toss a couple and I add a couple each year. So dahlias, dahlias. are fun and, and always about August uh, when you come to my home, September, you will see along my kitchen wall just my a wall of dahlias oh that I, you know, I cut and I put in little odd, odd little vases and it's just a wall of dahlias in here. But it's spectacular. It's kind of silly and fun. What kind of car do you drive? Doug and I have the same car. We have um, Prius plug-in hybrid. And I love this car. I have put gas in it maybe twice in a year and a half. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's and amazing. one time he made me he made me um, run the gas down and refill it because you can't, like, I didn't know this, but you can't keep gas in your tank for that long. It kind of goes stale. So... I had to use up that tank and get another one, but otherwise, <laughs> you just never have to fill it up. It's incredible. What song do you and Doug like to dance to? Oh, gosh. You know, we did have a period um, about 20 years ago when we were taking ballroom dancing lessons, and we did it for two or three years. And I would say our, we have, but we've, I confess, we've pretty much given it up, but we love salsa dancing. So any kind of Latin music, I will kind of pull them out of the chair and, and we will do that. We know, we remember the, like the one or two basic steps. So I, I will get them on the dance floor in the kitchen when there's some salsa music on. Okay. And last question, who's one of your favorite actors? 
Oh man, you are asking the wrong person. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. <laughs> oh, because, because you don't have a TV. We don't have a TV, and we don't go to movies. I know that sounds like Neanderthal. Oh, we go to a movie once a year on um, on Christmas Day with some friends. It's a ritual, and it's a big you know deal to choose that one movie. I think it's because we have these long dinners that we don't like <laughs> go to movies. So I don't even know who you know. I don't even know who actors are. People will talk about. Drop these names. Okay, and I, what I no about this? How about this? Who's one of your favorite winemakers? I'm married to him. What else am I going <laughs> to say? <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> Janet, so much fun chatting with you today. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.